On this episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we'll be discussing the universal classic monster film, The Creature Walks Among Us, from 1956. Welcome to Cult Cinema Cavalcade, a bi-weekly movie podcast that features hosts Brandon and Cullen discussing a film from cinema's past, considered but not limited to being a cult classic. As a disclaimer, each episode will include plot spoilers and may contain harsh language. Episodes available on cultcinemacavalcade.com and iTunes. Like the show on Facebook and follow on Twitter at CC Cavalcade. For questions, suggestions, and all inquiries, contact us via mail at cultcinemacavalcade.com. We all stand between the jungle and the stars at a crossroads. I think we better discover what brings out the best in humankind and what brings out the worst. Because it's the stars or the jungle. This is Cult Cinema Cavalcade. This is episode 46. This is Brandon. And as always, with me is your co-hoster, the co-hoster who podcasts among us, Cullen. That's enough out of you, you tramp. Why don't you get back in the kitchen? Today we're here to discuss the third film in the Universal Creature from the Black Lagoon trilogy, 1956's The Creature Who Walks uh, The Creature Walks Among Us. Cullen, who won't leave the Gill Man alone this time? A scientist captures the creature and turns him into an air breather, only for him to escape and start killing. The Creature Walks Among Us is written by Arthur Ross, directed by John Sherwood, and stars Jeff Morrow. Rex Reason, Leigh Snowden, and Greg Palmer. Thank you for joining us once again on another episode of Cults in the Cavalcade. We're glad you apparently loved the Deathbed episode, so that's that's great. I hope you loved our episode more than that film. Uh, so much so, I-, I wanted to change the title today to Creature, the Creature That Walks Among Us. <laughs> Anything for those clicks. Another thanks goes out to Josh Arnold, who... If you enjoyed him, he should be making a return to Cult Cinema Cavalcade in the future. Unless he's a liar, in which case you've broken my heart, Josh Arnold. Sob, sob, stab, you filthy impersonator. (laughs) Zing! Now, before our movie discussion, we selected it in a sort of uh, one of our ways of tying into Mystery Science Theater 3000's return, as it you should know if you listen to this show, it's back and it's on Netflix. Last time the show was returned or saved was when the Sci-Fi Channel picked it up after Comedy Central let it go. And the first movie they they riffed on in the Sci-Fi Channel debut was Revenge of the Creature, the second Creature from the Black Lagoon movie. We picked this one, which as a double bonus stars both the actors who played Cal and Exeter from This Island Earth, which was the film riffed in Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie. Yeah, when I realized that they were in this movie, first of all, 
I, I found out that Cal was in it, and then when I found out that Exeter was in it, like, okay, we have to do this movie. Yes. And as, you know, most of you listening know, and Colin and I have been lifelong Mystery Science Theater 3000 fans, and our friendship started kind of based on our love for MST3K, and we have this show that probably came because of our love for MST3K, so we figured some of you maybe want to know our thoughts on this return that is now here finally yes it's a the excruciatingly long time before its return and yes Uh, we were both kickstarter backers yeah we were there watching the telethon with probably some of you out there that excruciating telethon it was a beautiful train wreck like you just couldn't yeah it was you, you think to yourself i should probably shut this off but man as painful as it was there were good laughs. Yeah, it, and it was great that as it was happening, people were tweeting about how terrible it was, and I or the the, the terrible quality of it. And I I hate live tweeting, but with for whatever this was fine because I felt like I was actually bonding with people, and they were actually <laughs> embracing it on the telephone as well. Maybe yeah, not yeah, Joel, Pat- but like Pat Oswalt was getting a kick <laughs> out of it. Yeah, Joel was poor Joel. He was really frustrated. You could you could tell he was doing his best. To, Hide it, because he's a very laid-back guy, but you can still tell it was it was bothering him. So now it's back, and Cullen, how far are you into this? I just finished Star Crash. That's the sixth episode. Uh, I, I want to... I'm going to watch more. I haven't been able to watch as much as I would like. I didn't plan on finishing the whole series, or the whole season by the time that we started to record this, but I wanted to be a little further ahead, but I got up to the... David Hasselhoff, Star Wars ripoff, Star Crash. Yes, with ooh, Caroline Caroline Monroe, who makes that movie easy to get through. Well, it's <laughs> it's it's less difficult to get through. Let, let's let's be accurate. With, I, I with will that say, movie is. I, I'm on. I just finished uh, Land That Time Forgot, which comes after that one. What what are your thoughts so far on just the new season? Like, is it is it does it feel like they never left? Is it weird and different? Is it better? There's there's some stuff that's weird. I don't I don't I don't care for Gypsy's voice. I don't want her to be have like the dumb voice anymore. I just it doesn't feel like it matches the character. It's just and, we're so used to what was before yeah. and it's a huge change. Yeah, it's a it's right. It's a huge change. If it was a little more I don't want to say subtle, but not as far away from it, mm-hmm. that would have been that would have been better. Well, like it, Tom Servo's a bit of a difference too like for some reason the guys who play crow always sound like crow yeah 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 <laughs> it's uh, weird like they yeah hampton yout who does it now he does a really good job and he's he sounds it's, it sounds like crow it's a different but he can still tell it's crow uh baron vaughn he does the voice of tom servo now and it is there are times where i have to remind myself when i hear his voice tom servo is talking now yeah and i mean because there is only one Kevin Murphy, and Kevin Murphy has one of the most distinct voices. So replacing yeah. that is, you just got to just, whoever's voice it is, it is. Yeah. I'm not going to print out a big banner that says, I hate Tom Servo's new voice, and send it to them. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but it, it is it is different and a little, a little weird. I do, I, I love the, the theme song. It's still wonderful. I think it's uh, at first I thought it was uh, kind of weird that they have a cold open and then the theme song starts. But I realized why they do that now because they don't have 
commercial breaks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, before there would be the theme song and then there's the brief little skit or whatever, and then they go to commercial. Well, now since there's no commercial break, now they're, you know, now they just have those little bumps in there. And that works in I a really well. I, I love those. They, but, they allow Patton Oswalt to just be Patton Oswalt. I feel like he's just off the cuff doing them. Yeah. So if they didn't do that, then there'd be that bump like way too early in the episode. It's like, well, you just got started. Why? Why are we already doing this? So it's it's they've moved around and it's fine. It's a, it's an evolution, and I'm totally cool I, I with think, that. I think part of the cold open is they know fans want to hear that theme song every time they sit down. This isn't like a, a fifty minute, sh- a forty minute show, or a twenty minute show, and it's not going to be binged because Netflix has that that auto function that skips the open. Mm-hmm. of shows so if it start if it started with the th- theme song netflix would automatically program itself to skip past it but if it ha- if a show has a cold open it lets it just run mm-hmm. so i i wonder if that's part of it too is to like beat that little system i, I don't know i from what i've seen online and i look at mystery science th- theater stuff every day folks i haven't seen any explanation of that happening Maybe it's been in one of the things uh, I've missed, or no one's mentioned it where I look, but I, I haven't seen it. And the, I think the, the movie selection's been been great. I, I feel like, so far, if it's feel, felt like every other episode has been... I've, I've enjoyed them all, but I feel like every other one's been like, oh, this could be a new classic. Like, uh, the Cry Wilderness. Cry Wilderness is and then, awesome. And then, like, Avalanche. In, mm-hmm. in Star Crash, which Star Crash kind of just without them lends itself to just being ridiculous and laugh, and they only yeah. enhan- enhance Star Crash. Cry Wilderness is like you know that movie that needs the MS3K, oh, yeah. and and then Avalanche is just a perfect a perfect matchup in the middle. Yeah, the it's interesting. Cry Wilderness feels like a sci-fi era episode, and Avalanche feels like a Comedy Central era episode. And it was funny. I found myself actually getting in to like the uh, the some of the semantics of of Avalanche at the end. I'm like, she is not getting back with Rock Hudson. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> she did not leave Forrester cold. <laughs> oh. and, and I was like, okay, whew, whew. I'm like, wait, why yeah. am I caring about this? <laughs> it's Avalanche. Why do I like, care? Really pissed. And it made me so <laughs> glad that Mia Farrow found some footing in the '80s. Cause man, that poor girl. <laughs> I think it's interesting that they're doing uh, more stuff in the theater. I always thought that they could do more stuff. Uh, it, you know, I always liked it. Like they'd get up and like run when a car was coming. Mm-hmm. You know, at them. I like that. I like that corny stuff. There's a part in Star Crash where I don't know what, what, what's her name when she gets on the spaceship. She's never seen the spaceship. She doesn't know who's flying it. She just gets in it. And Jonah pulls out a guitar, like, okay, let's try one, guys. And they sing an entire song. Yeah. As she's walking around the ship. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. They're really good with songs in this one. I'll tell you what. When in the middle of episodes, or, or like mm-hmm. in the theater and outside, they've come up with some really good stuff. They're, they are, yep. That's one of their, the, this new group's strength, is they, they are really good with the songs. And, and they, I know that uh, Paul and Storm. Or writing songs for it. I don't know if they wrote that song or or what. But once I realized it was them, it was like that makes total sense. That's exactly the kind of music they play. This is great. Uh, and Reptilicus, like I, I mentioned, like that monster mash is an all time moment when that ha- like that lightning bolt hit, 
and they mm-hmm. just bit. And I was like, wow. And then they they ended with like reptile cast. It's like yes. <laughs> but they, I mean, they yeah. get, I, th- I feel like they keep getting more comfortable every episode with the riffing, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. That that was one thing, especially with Reptilicus. So far, has been the one I noticed the most was the jokes are just packed too tightly on top of each other. And the, like the whole episode felt like it was in a hurry too. The sketch, the in between, yeah. Like it felt, felt like the the jo- the jokes in the theater. I felt like they were starting the joke before the setup happened sometimes yeah what's your what do you think of the new mads i think they're great yep but they're absolutely wonderful at first i didn't know what to think of the skeleton crew but you know what it's neat it's it's different it's interesting that the mad scientists actually have a, a crew of henchmen that's neat on moon 13 it- the moon <laughs> yeah, that's neat too. It's different. Joel is still in every episode. Yep. As Artie, that's pretty cool. He's still. I mean, he's obviously a producer and he wrote and everything for it. But it's neat that he's still. He showed up as around. someone else too at one point. Was that that might have been an avalanche? I don't remember. I'm sure there's someone out there like, no, it was in this episode, you idiot. But like he, like he and some other guy, like they what pulled fans up and they are were you. Gonna... Yeah. I've only watched it once. I haven't had 20 years to watch it over and over again. Get off my back. Uh, and so far that I've had a peer I've, uh, in guest spots have seen uh, uh, Bobo, Pearl, and the Observer, then Neil Patrick Harris, and Jerry Seinfeld. And Will Wheaton. And Will Wheaton. Yeah, Will yeah. Wheaton was in the beginning. Yeah. And, and I, I don't, I haven't seen anyone else say this before. I'm, I'm going to ask this now. What was wrong with Bobo's face? When he showed up, it was it was unsettling what his face looked like. It's like, did he go through like a Meg Ryan facelift, and now he just has to live with the results? That's the only thing that would make sense to me. Oh no! And then there's the clone pearl that shows up. She's shown up twice. Yeah, I'm glad that they explained that. It was like, well, why does she look so or dress kind of like Pearl used to? Like, oh, okay, that's fine. It's always bothered me when. People would talk about the trailer. They're like, oh, you know, uh, Pearl's looking pretty neat. Like, that's not Pearl. That's not Pearl Forrester, you assholes. That's, a comp- that's clearly a different person. But, you know, they're still not right, but at least it's, I don't know. I don't know. But it, it's neat that they're, they're, they're doing that. that. That leaves some options for them to do something with her. Yeah, I've, I'm excited to get through the, the second half of it. And I'm... Yeah. I'm I, well, I want to watch them right away. I'm like trying to not be in a hurry because you know watching them like in a row that can be exhausting sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Mystery Science Theater 3000 is great, but there's also sometimes where it's hard to stay awake. It's just inevitable because the movies are so bad that your brain's just like you can stay, but I'm out of here. And it's and you play like a like a kind of a lottery game with watching them once you're through. I mean, because you'll be like, ah, I'm going to watch these again at some point. And, you know, you can you can watch it with full attention. You can watch it with, like, doing something else. Mm-hmm. And you're always, and it could be fresh the next time, too. It's the, the beauty of the show. It's it's made to watch multiple times. And you yeah. will. You'll you'll be like, ah, let's watch one of these new ones. I'm not so familiar with these. Like, because I don't know when last time I've ever, I, I don't, I've never sat and watched them in order since they, like, aired. The one thing we haven't talked about, Jonah the new host. Oh god, yeah, Jonah. He's he's fun. He's fine. He's yeah, fun. no, he, I, I, I kind of want him. I wanted him to have like his own identity, but he's very much Joel Part Two. It's, that's okay. 
that that happens sometimes. Yeah, that's okay. It, it's still his own. He's he's definitely making different jokes and references than Joel would. So right. I, I have, that's totally fine. I have noticed they've they've uh, pulled some classic jokes and uh, yeah, <clears throat> they've uh, they seem to think it's funny to call something. Jim Henson's whatever <laughs> a character or or the movie title is something babies. They've used yeah, that joke yeah. multiple times. And that's fine. That's always good. I think they've used Watch Out for Snakes too much. Uh-huh. Uh but whatever. Oh, whatever. And they did, you know, when you know Tom Servo can fly now and stuff like that, but with the screen things, it, it all came together in Avalanche during the scene in the hot tub when Jonah's like, what are you guys doing with those drones? And they both went over to the side of the screen with remote controls and covered nipples with drones. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> that was good. That was, that was clever. I was like, yes, this is what we're talking about. Every episode, though, like Gypsy early on will drop down like a suitcase on the far side. Yeah, it's just an excuse to have yeah. her in there just to say something. And then towards the end, she'll come pick it up. And those jokes, those are usually the jokes that don't land as well as some well, of the others. Well, they don't land because it's like, you're, she's not in rhythm with everybody else. Yeah. And you just I mean, hear it's, this it's, drastically different voice say something mildly amusing. It it's reminds like, me It reminds me of like this bit that Patton Oswalt does about him writing punch up for movies yeah and about him like uh, here's this animated movie and we just need someone to say something funny off screen that has nothing to do with what's going on it kind of it's not as bad as that obviously but it just kind of reminds me it's too attention drawing too that's yeah like oh this one better be good because you just everyone got quiet you floated distractingly down the screen (laughs) and now you're gonna say something short yeah, I would. I would like if she were like to drop in from the top of the screen and then just like kiss someone on the cheek and then just like go back yeah. up. That would be awesome. But instead, it's just like, all right, well, that joke was. It's like it's like open mic night. You give it a chance. Yes. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yes. Speaking of sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. We got a show to do with the the creature. That walks among us. I'm a big Universal Classic Monsters fan. I have all the movies I watch them uh, times into like the, the series. Is I'm not just like a, will I stop at Bride of Frankenstein, blah, 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 prissy person. I go through like, you know, the crappy mummy, mummy movies, Invisible Man, and stuff like that. But I'm a, I'm a big Creature from the Black Lagoon fan. Have you seen all the creature movies now after I, this, or just? I've only seen the second and third one. I've never seen the first oh, one. Oh my gosh! Which seems I don't know. It's probably the, I know it has to be the best one. Oh yeah, it's a work of art. Like it's it's one of the best of the Universal movie monsters. It came it came after they were like done, but he's in with them, and he kind of launched the uh, radioactive monster movies of the fifties mm-hmm. and. Yeah, because all the others were in the what, the 30s, and were, some of them were in the 40s, yeah, right? Was, but not a, many. Was, well, it was in the 30s. They they hit big, and then they started falling off, and then they came. They did Son of Frankenstein, and all of a sudden, like, oh, interest was back, and and they, yeah, cause, they cause, then yeah. came the Wolfman, and because the Wolfman was in the 40s, and then they started doing the Monster Rally films where they, they mm-hmm. started putting them together uh, with Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, and then 
House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula, and you know Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein. But I mean, you think about it, Dracula was out in 1931, mm-hmm. and uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon didn't come out until 54. Yeah. I think. Well, and I think uh, Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein was like mid 40s. So. Yeah, so there's a big, pretty big gap yeah. between the from the creature movies and the rest of the Universal uh, monsters. But he he goes with he's like the last one, and he it's a work of art. I mean, he the, the underwater shots and stuff in that movie are just beautiful. Oh and yeah, it's it's something that it's a a film that both you know you can see Steven Spielberg like getting Jaws from it. It's mm-hmm. it very much inspired Jaws, and it's very much like a, a Friday the Thirteenth type. Uh, inspiring type thing because it's very there's a lot of that in there too uh, just like the the killer angle and the monster mm-hmm. being being kind of walking stock type guy so th- there's that but it also the funny thing is it it itself while feeling like this wholly original thing was kind of uh, inspired itself by from like King Kong because uh, the director kind of and, and the writer kind of felt that they, they did the, the first one was like the Skull Island portion of it and then the second movie uh, Revenge of the Creature the director came back the writer didn't and he's like well I'm gonna finish off my King Kong story and bring him out back to shore with you know to, for a public display so that's what mm-hmm. the, the Revenge of the Creature is but Revenge of the Creature gets also noted as being this kind of original film that would inspire the likes of Jaws 3 and Jurassic <laughs> and, and Jurassic Jurassic World where you're like oh uh-huh. it's the theme park movie where my monsters like attacking a theme park full of people so mm-hmm. they had you know he came back for that one and that one Revenge of the Creature is a sil- it's it's silly it's you know made for a great you know mystery science theater episode it's got a a nifty idea, just not executed very well. Each consecutive sequel to the creature movies, it's pretty clear that the budget is reduced right. well, drastically. That's, I mean, that's how movies were before, like Marvel came along and yeah. stuff, where yeah, it was yeah. like, oh, well, we'll double the budget next time. It was like, oh, what? You made a big, huge profit? Okay, half the budget next time. Yeah, so, do it again with yeah half the money. Yeah. yeah, and then we came to this this final. Uh, Creature Walks Among Us, where the director didn't come back, the, the writer of the first one came back. From what I've heard, he took... It was he, out of ideas. He, no. he was offered the second one, didn't want to do it, and then came the third one, he picked it up and said, oh, you know, I'm going to finish my story. But he also had just recently had a kid or something, and was like, ah, I'm going to need some money. <laughs> he was interested. He goes, well, I wrote, you know, I wrote a story about a half-man, half-amphibian, and I told the amphibian side of the story, so I'd like to tell the man side of the story. So... That's where he came, and I I mentioned Monster Rally films before, and this one kind of is the creature's version because it's it's kind of the creature versus the mad scientist. Yeah, because the Barton character very much is the he's more he's not like ah turn the pull the switch type mad scientist, but he's in that modern era's own way in insane. He, yeah, he is now. Well, He's like Dr. Moreau crazy. Right, yes. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. We're closer to that than the Frankenstein, <laughs> Dr. Frankenstein. So yeah, they came out with this and that creature was gone. And he, he I don't think he, he doesn't come back until Monster Squad. Like he is one of uh, the no. least used ones. Uh, there was attempts from many big directors, including uh, John Carpenter, to remake the original, but it hasn't happened. He's on the docket That's for awesome. the new the new Universal Monster movies, which they're trying to 
uh, woo Scarlett Johansson to star in. Right. I think the only other monster that was used, well, yeah, it was used less was the Bride of Frankenstein, yep. honestly. She's, <laughs> she's only the... She's only there for like what, fifteen minutes or something? No, she's in four. The final four minutes of that. Oh movie. my god! And um, and she was used again in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein from Kenneth Branagh in the nineties. She shows up. Wow. So yeah, so yeah, that's the only other character that's even around even less than the creature. Mm-hmm. You know, a creature still iconic. People still know what it is. I don't know how they would pull him off today because I don't know. They, I don't think it could be as simple. It'd be a love story. Yeah, You'd fall in love with a, a big city biologist, there and there'd be a, a passionate love scene that would sicken the audience, but maybe make them grow intellectually just a bit, and then our society would progress, and so I can't wait for that movie. There we go. And so this movie, we start with a married couple, the Bartons, driving like a bat out of hell in Florida to a boat. <laughs> yeah! And they are the- flying! Are the cops after them? What is, <laughs> is the engine on fire? Why are they going so quickly? The uh, woman, uh, Marsha, gets out and she meets on the boat with three men. Grant, Morgan, and Dr. Borg, who is going to assimilate this crew. <laughs> I thought that was an unusual <laughs> name. Like, Dr. Borg. Like uh, that, That's the whole idea for this uh, film, is that they're going to assimilate... The creature into society, (laughs) so I guess it is fitting that he's in the movie. Borgenstein? Like, come on, Borg? (laughs) Wow. Uh, Yeah. And and Dr. Morgan is played by Rex Reason, uh, who is, uh, he's the exact same character that he is from this island Earth. The only difference is this version of the character swims. There's no. He's exactly the same character. He is like the. It, it's surprising his career comes down to this movie and this island Earth because he feels he looks like the epitome of like the male lead actor of this era. He's like tall, yeah. dark, and heroically voiced. Like, yeah, he, he he should be like like punching out invaders or or, or or something. Like he shouldn't be a scientist. Right. Cause... This this was back for some reason in the in the fifties. Hollywood said no, scientists have to be handsome. <laughs> like, look, they can be acceptable looking. They shouldn't be strikingly handsome, right? Because it is ridiculous how good these guys look. They're getting ready to go on this scientific expedition, and there's there's a lab on a on this boat where we we meet a guy named Johnson. This this boat is huge. It, I mean, it looks, it looks like a mini like river boat. Yeah. It, it's, it's ridiculous. There's a lot of rooms and it's like, what? Oh man. And a lot of dudes on the boat. And Dr. Barton's impressed with uh, Morgan's upkeep in the lab. And then uh, Grant has invited them on this trip, but he hasn't told them really what they're up against. But Dr. Morgan seems confident he can catch it with ease. But Grant, this guy's not so sure. And the boat casts off the sea. We then have a, a, a scene where radar is explained as these guys, like, wow over it. Is uh, this um, gadget your idea, Doc? <laughs> not exactly. Similar machines are being manufactured by a few of the big electronic firms. Works like the sonar device that the commercial fishing outfits use to spot schools of fish. The electronic waves move to the object in the water 
and bounced back. The time lapse between sending and receiving gives us the distance. Takes all the kick out of fishing if you know what's right there in the water. <laughs> On this particular trip, we'd better know what's in the water. <gasps> I know! <laughs> How? How do they not know about radar? It's brand new! <laughs> I we guess! Like, radar came out that week, apparently. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, they are, I was like, I, I'm sitting there going, okay, there's going to be, like, something extra to this, right? Like, it's a radar, but when you find it, it'll do, take this, like, holographic image or something. No, it's it's just radar. And then Yeah, like, like does the captain's sideline as a radar salesman? Because it's like a pitch. It goes on for a while. It's like, are, are, are you selling timeshares for the radar? Like, it's more interesting than the creature. Who will say this? He's all, he's commonly referred to as the gill man, but he's also referred to the creature. I personally always lean on creature. So if you get mad yeah. this episode because I keep calling him creature, sorry? It's in the title of the movie. All three movies. Grant mentions that he takes the fun right out of fishing about the radar, and I I was reminded of Lou Gossett Jr. in Punisher when he was looking at the person trying to look something up on a computer. He said, what are you going to do with that, play Miss Pac-Man? Guess what? You're dated now with your humor. <laughs> Grandpa may have laughed at that back in 56, but now... <laughs> now you just look like an idiot. So the radar guy, radar guy who is... Was that Dr. Borg? Was he in charge of the radar? Sure. I don't know. I don't understand the jobs of most of the people on this ship. But he pulls down a chart showing Gilman in comparison to a human because that needed... That, I don't know why that <laughs> well, needed to be... That, a chart? That, that, that so, yeah, somebody drew that. So then, like, like you can't, can you, you can't lift up pieces a... to see, like, like you know, anatomy? Or no, no, it's just... <laughs> no, it's just a drawing side by side. You can't just tell people, hey, the, the creature is probably about a foot taller than an average man. It's around 300 pounds. It's pretty solid, pretty solid thing. You know, uh -oh. we don't need a side-by-side -side comparison. Like, tell me, what do people look like? Okay, great. Now, what's the creature look like? I know what both of these things look like. I don't need an illustration. All of them rush to the deck as Marsha is shooting a shotgun at sharks in the water. Yeah, like she is going to town. Like bam, 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 bam. I've ne now I've never hunted sharks, but it doesn't seem. I don't think you would shoot a shark with a shotgun. No. And she unloads into him too. She probably, I don't know, eight rounds of shots. It's ridiculous. Her husband tells her that she needs to be a spectator on this trip and not a participant. And then don't bring her. <laughs> Why was she on the trip? Yeah, I, I, I really don't understand what she was brought along, but... Everyone on this trip that is there for what they probably believe is a scientific mission would be annoyed that this person who has no scientific background at all is just... It's like her vacation, I guess. So they all leave, but Grant hangs back to try his... Uh chemistry out with mrs barton uh, the boat then parks and the sausage party takes off in a little speedboat toward this little uh, village and at the village they stop at a man named martino's house and he's bedridden and looks to be injured and grant asks him to tell the story of how he got attacked by the creature and he, he hunts alligators for materials and shoes and he sells them off to grant to make into that stuff one day after a long hunt i shoot something near me and it Raise up and grab my gun. Parecia Diablo, it, it looked like devil, 
fighting me. I take my knife, I fight back. I cut him good. Animal malvado. There was plenty blood. Then devil go away and I did not remember more till people from village find me. When I wake up, I am crippled, face torn. My village try to hunt it down, but it is smart. Not like man, smart like devil. The, the, the guys take the, the expedition, they take the knife that stabbed the creature for examination. And back on the boat, they find the blood resembles marine life and a land-bearing mammal. So Dr. Barton immediately feels the creature can be changed and they can make a new species. Uh, that's the point when you look at him like, you're not a real doctor, are you? You just can't change the biology of something willy-nilly. But Dr. Morgan, who is a geneticist, he's taken aback. He thought this was only a, a an expedition for study, but Barton has big ideas about this creature leading him to be able to survive in space. I know. When I heard that, I was like, wait a minute. Pump like, the brakes. You went here with this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, although if that was a teaser for the next movie, you'd fucking watch that movie. Yep. You'd watch the... <laughs> You'd watch the creature floats above us. You'd watch yes. that movie. Dr. Morgan argues that man will get to outer space when he's ready, and they should just help assist nature. So but fuck that. That's not what humans do. We control it. They're ready for an underwater search for the creature, and then Marsha wants to go, and her husband <sighs> tries to stop her, but Morgan and Grant say they'll take care of her. And... Yeah. What's, the, what's the harm? We'll take care yes. of her. What's the harm? There is an ill-tempered fish swimming around. That's the harm. This thing that's known to murder people. She's going into the water with no weapons and no background for aquatic life. I'm just going for a swim. Why not? They even warn her, like, hey, you know, the pressure gets pretty uh, intense down there. We we could be going like 150 feet down in the water. It's going to be a lot of pressure. And then you might get, you know, kind of drunk or... He's like, oh, I'll be drunk on swimming. Ooh, let's go. <clears throat> I had zero sympathy for her when, when, she, when that happens, when she started saying that kind of crap. Dr. Morgan offers Grant a depth gauge, but he scoffs at it, and Morgan says, well, if you're wrong, it won't be the first time, but it'll be your last. <laughs> We're laughing at our mortality. So as, as they get deeper into the, the water, uh, the creature appears via alternate takes and footage from the first film oh is that... <laughs> it's not noticeable but they, they actually did make it a point when they were making the film to use cut footage and alternate angles and stuff of so it was it's all never before seen footage but it was mm-hmm. shot during the first film because they they were not wanting to go with that creature design and outfit again which they they made a cheap mock-up of it to we'll see later show real quickly mm-hmm. So Morgan is, uh, here's the thing, it was weird. So the guys are back at the amazing radar, and Morgan is communicating with them how? Like, telepathically, or? Like, he's yeah. got something directly in his mouth, like a breathing apparatus. Yeah, it, it, it's it, it's like trying to speak with a giant tube in your mouth, because that's what it was. There's no way he could be able to communicate with these people. Yeah, and he's coming in clear as day there. Yeah, 
you know, he, he talks like, oh, uh, I don't see what you're talking about. I, I, I don't see any creature. And it should, should sound like, oh, can't, oh, uh, this is deeper in the water. Uh, we're, just, we're, getting, we're getting closer to where I hang. Like, that does not make for good communication. No. It, I was Because I was watching the radar, and I'm like, wait, that's Dr. Morgan's voice. Clear as a bell. Yeah. Like, he's in the room. Gilman is spotted on the radar, but he's not visible to the divers who they keep going deeper. And then we see Marsha, and she looks like she's dozing off for a second, and then just gracefully swims around, takes off her flippers, and then undoes her oxygen tank, and then, like, Morgan goes over to rescue her and brings her to the surface. Grant follows, and at the boat, Morgan's saying, like, she went too deep, and I was like, oh, she, I was like, oh she's trying to kill herself. And then I was like, wait a minute, maybe this movie, maybe that's how the movie depicted her going too deep? But, no, she really was trying to kill herself, we'll find out in a little bit. But I was confused for a moment, like, wait, did this movie just show me something that I I was thinking it was something else? Because it was a, this is a movie in 1956, I wouldn't think they would show someone attempting to commit suicide in yeah, a movie it, back then. Especially, especially so pleasantly, because she was dancing around underwater like a Busby Berkeley musical. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and by the way, when they come out of the water, Marsha is bone dry. Right. <laughs> it looks like maybe someone sprayed her with a bottle of water because, like, her like her chest and arms are a little damp, but her hair is completely dry. Suit is completely dry. Dr. Morgan is barely wet. It's like, you were really deep in the water. Is it just that hot out that as soon as you get out, it just evaporates instantly off your body? Grant's sure they found the creature, and Morgan says it'll be tough. Because he knows how to fight them. Everyone leaves, and Marsha apologizes to Dr. Morgan for being trouble. He knows she was trying to commit suicide down there. And then she reveals that she was married 10 years ago when she was 17. Uh, she's happy she saw the world. She was happy that day that day she got to see the world under the sea. And then Morgan leaves as the ship's butler enters the room. <laughs> I was like, whoa, what? Wait, what? Like, hello, sir. Yeah. Tidy up around here. Let me got your champagne. Like, what? Wait, what do, is this guy? Like, what? Do, do we see him ever in the rest of the movie? No. <laughs> no, like, what? They have, like, a. What? Did they. They must have, like, hired someone else. Like, well, uh, Dr. Morgan and Dr. Burton are gone. Who knows if they'll come back? Let's hire a butler while uh, they're gone, just in case we run out of crew members. So she, she finds her husband, and he immediately is, like, jealous of Dr. Morgan. Because they were talking to each other. Yeah. That was enough. You were with Dr. Morgan for quite a long time. Please don't start again, Bill. Don't start accusing me. You're my me. wife, Marsha. Conduct yourself that way. I always have, Bill. I don't know any other way. Don't ever try to leave me. Don't ever try to make a fool of me. Okay, here's the film's asshole. Yeah, but exactly. He's one of two. We'll find. Oh, uh, yeah. He's yeah. At night, the they take the boat drives and continues tracking the Gill Man, and then they deduce that it's following them. And Grant and Barton get into a little disagreement over whether or not to take it alive, because you know Grant's like, hey. <laughs> My life or creature's life, I'm taking it down. And Barton's like, but Simon, but we need to change it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to murder it. No, no. I want to rob it of its identity. 
it's agreed that they'll have to confront the creature on its own terms, so they take the speedboat out again to the lagoon, and they sp- they begin spraying with... Rodinon. I don't know what Rodinon is. Or... It's it's some kind of chemical that's used to knock out fish, it's I believe. Real? Okay. Well, no, they said it. They said it in the movie that they had okay. a chemical. It was like rotonin to... or something. I was like, "Oh, this is your made-up science for this movie." <laughs> and they have Doctor Morgan make sure he's the one who says it, so it sounds real. <laughs> oh, we've got plenty of made-up a stand that we're gonna spray in the water. Oh. And, and by the way, they're gonna go hunt for the creature, right? Great, cool. So they take this little boat. They put what five guys in it. So it's going to be easy to tip over, and it's stupid close to the water. Meanwhile, they're in a big boat, and they know that the creature wants to attack them because the creature has led them into this, what they call a trap, and they go, okay, well, let's get in a smaller boat that's easier for it to jump into. What a bunch of assholes. (laughs) They're supposed to be doctors. Well, is Grant... Well, Grant's supposed to be like the hunter... You know, tracker guy. That's it's what like, he is. You should know better. Yeah, yeah, that's what he is. I, I could, I didn't know what the hell Grant was. Like, I, there came to a point in the movie where I thought, what is his job? Well, have you ever because noticed? He's, well, he's the one who knows how to track and find the cre- creature. Um, that's what he's like leading the expedition. But if you notice, like any science, any scene with like science stuff, he's nowhere to be found. And whenever he's given a task after it's captured, it's like, hey, go make him a shirt. Go watch this door. Like he's. Well, I, I wondered about that because there's all the science stuff going on, and he always seems to kind of talk down about science. And yeah. I thought, why the fuck are you on this expedition if you just don't fucking care about it? Grant, oh, he, he shines a light into the water, and Gilman jumps out and, like, swats it away. And to be fair, he's probably trying to sleep. He's had a, <laughs> a long day of, you know, dragging that boat uh, behind him. He's like, I'm fucking tired. Knock off. Cut that light off. It's, yeah. it's 10.15. I'm tired. Well, he follows that up with jumping up on the boat, and he gets shot with a harpoon, and he like picks up a gasoline can, but it like dumps on himself. So then, what's funny? The way he picks it up, it looks like he's purposely pouring right, yeah. the gasoline on himself. I think he's just trying to like look intimidating, like ah, oh, I got this, I'm gonna throw it. And then Grant <laughs> lights him on fire, and he falls in the water and tips up the boat, knocking them all out of the boat, all the doctors out of the boat, and they spy him by the shore picking up a tree trunk, but he passes out in the process. And Morgan goes over, and he notices it has third-degree burns. And this is the only time the creature, they actually made like the creature look like he did from the previous films. They built this costume because it was going to be in the dark, and he was going to be burned. And it was like a two-piece version of the creature outfit, which when the the previous films would be like a bodysuit, and they would individually glue piece by piece to the body to mm. do the suit. And they didn't want to put anybody through that again, so they made this little two-piece suit. Well, I believe that the guy that did all the underwater stuff for the creature, it was always the same guy. Mm-hmm. Whereas the anytime he's above land, it's a different it's a different guy than who yeah, was yeah, yeah. They had two, yeah, they had two guys when they did the original original film. I'm not sure how it was on Revenge, but it's it's uh it's the same way. Okay, Morgan at the back of the ship knows well he knows the third degree burns at the boat uh they have him full body bandaged and fine and then they go well, he's dying of suffocation i'm like yes you have him over bandaged <laughs> yeah there's you've covered up his gills there's no way yeah. they can breathe it's gills and its mouth so, it, it, it's like it's like four inches of gauze 
right, yeah. <laughs> all over his body. The x-rays reveal that he has a full lung formation, and after 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 deducing how he breathes, Dr. Barton devised that they perform a tracheotomy, which works. And he says, we are changing a sea creature into a land creature. And Morgan says that those lungs were already there, and he's afraid of misusing what I do know. And then, on this boat, Marsha's playing a full-on piano. Yeah! Right? <laughs> at, at, at first I thought, wait, are they like in a house now? Or or, or what? But no, yeah. they're on a boat, and it is, it's a, it's a full damn piano. Yeah. Like, who... <laughs> they're just doing shit in this boat. How is it not Ridiculous. sinking? This boat has... Time Lord technology, apparently, because it's bigger on the inside. Uh, Grant goes to lean over and talk to her at the piano, and she stops playing, gets up, and walks away, which pleases Dr. Barton, who's spying on them. While Barton feels he has discovered something, the creature breaks out of its shackles on the bed, but then returns to resting. And they decide to look at the eyes and notice that they have mutated to being more human-like. Apparently, all it takes to change something's eyes is to give it third-degree burns Yes, and a tracheotomy. Uh, Marsha wants to visit the Gill Man, which Johnson says her husband says she's not allowed, but then he lets her know that this is the day they're taking the bandages off. You know what? She shouldn't be allowed because she has no business being there to begin with. As she, a- you, can, you can lay on the deck. You can read a book. You can play the piano. Have fun. We got some scientific stuff going on here. What the fuck are you going to do? Look at and go, golly, that sure is an interesting thing you're doing over there. No, you're useless. Well, as she leaves, Grant corners her, but she brushes him off again. And as the creature is unbandaged, you can see it's transformed into a more kind of more human-like appearance. And they, they say that the fire burned away the outer scale and there's more human skin texture underneath. Proving it had both. And Dr. Morgan thinks they should put clothing on it. To which Dr. Barton... Wants to hide the creature dong. Because, yes. I mean, if there's a layer of skin underneath... Yeah. That's probably what's going on, right? Yeah, which Dr. Barton says the always smart thing that they should leave to celebrate. And that it's okay. Because <laughs> the creature's under sedation. And the ship it, hands can take care of the clothes. It didn't just wake up and rip through its own restraints or anything. They look for Grant, who they task with making clothes for the creature. Not just not not finding clothes, making them. <laughs> yeah, they should. There's probably plenty of clothes on the ship because they go through a lot of costume changes in this movie. Yeah. So the the celebration happens, and everyone is in formal suits that they brought yes! onto the ship. Yeah, every one of these guys is wearing a suit. Like, 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 were they told to pack a suit in case, like, they went somewhere nice? Yeah, like, what? It, it, it took me surprised. So like, wait, what? We're not at someone's house here. We are on the boat. No, the it, it looks like, like, if the windows weren't so high up, it would look just like someone's house. Like, we only know it's on a boat because of the establishing shots. And they have, like, a bottle or two of wine, which I can understand them bringing that to celebrate. Right, right. They're that all, makes sense. Well, they're all but... smoking and drinking, because that's what you did for fun. It was 1956. Yep. Uh, Barton, who's clearly drunk, makes a snide comment to Marsha 
about them not having much laughter in their lives anymore. And he uh, then he, he goes and insists he and Morgan get into a debate about creating his, uh, the new species idea he has. God. And then Morgan's... Uh, you know that... Like, Dr. Barton is like, yeah, you know this guy. You've been around this, this kind of asshole when he's drunk. <laughs> yeah. Also, I don't understand why he wants to make a new species. Isn't the creature already a new species? Uh, yeah. Why does he have to keep dicking around with it? Like, that's enough! Just just. Just find out what he is. What? Why do you have to fuck with him even more? Uh, Morgan tells him he's like, uh, it's the interaction of heredity and environment for millions of years that makes you new species. We only change the skin, Doctor, not the animal. But we can bring out the best or worst than any living thing. Environment does that. If it threatens him, if he's afraid of us, he'll revert to the wanton killer. Well, that's why I've gone along with it. And he ends up retiring to where he we see Grant in the hall guarding the gill man's room. And everybody ends up leaving, and Barton has, like, a drunken breakdown to Marsha, like, about what a good wife she is, and then, like, forces himself onto her. And when she rejects him, he, like, throws her on the couch, calling her worthless and useless, to which Grant's listening this whole thing. And you know what? This still isn't... And I think, um, I think like, right, right before this, there's, like, Dr. Johnson and, like, someone else is in the room. He's like, hey, you know, my idea is good, right? You guys... And the one's like, well, like, I don't know. He's like, you you think it's good, right? Don't you? And they're like, well, I I I see what you're saying. He's like, yeah, was like, right, huh? He's like, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm not an un- I'm not an unethical monster, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, this is like, <laughs> this is like yeah, before he throws Marsha on the couch. But what's unfortunate <laughs> is this isn't the worst a woman has been treated in a movie we've watched for the show. No. No, this is kindness. Dr. Barton's Dr- a caring husband. Yeah, Dracula 3000, which takes place hundreds of years in the future, treats women worse than this movie does. Marshall awakes in the morning, or it might still be night. The difference between day and night is negligible in yeah. this movie. You just have to kind of guess. Like, yeah. There are times like, wait, was that person sleeping, or are they just taking a nap? Yeah, she's still on the couch. And then Grant walks in and tries to get friendly with her, to which she rejects him again. And since he's not watching, then the Gill Man breaks out of his room, and then he attacks Grant, who's, like, trying to force himself on Marsha. Everyone of the boat scuffles in and witness the creature jumping in the water, and Morgan feels, fears the Gill Man will drown and goes in after him. So the Gill Man begins drowning at the bottom of the water, but... They bring an oxygen hose down to Morgan, and he tries to give him oxygen, but the creature fights him off till the Gill Man passes out, and then Morgan starts lending him oxygen and showing him how to breathe through it. They get him to the surface. And they show every second of oh, yeah. him going up to the water, by the way. It is... It's this not movie, that long. It's not, it's it, not deathbed it, crawling no, it, to escape long. It's, it, it's not that long, but at the same time, like we don't have to see... Every second from when the hose goes in his mouth to him going to the the top, it's you could have trimmed a little bit here, Universal. On the boat, they've studied his brain waves and noticed that the creature seems to have a memory of. I don't know how they can they can tell that at all from their equipment. Wires hooked into his head, like that, and and papers <laughs> printing. It's like they hooked a seismograph up to his head. Like I don't. I don't see how they can get anything. Oh, well, these things, these uh, check marks mean fear. And over here, 
uh, he was thinking about uh, eating a sandwich. So, you know, these are sandwich squiggles. That's fear squiggles. That's our scale. So back in San Francisco, everyone's returned to some residence. Was this Dr. Barton's house? Was this just a place they got? I don't know. It doesn't look like San Francisco. You just have to take it on faith that it's in the San Francisco area because yeah. they show an establishing shot of the, the Golden Gate Bridge. Like, they could be... Well, and there's they, the, they, the truck says something San Francisco on it. Right. But the actual house, it's... I don't know, in a wooded area. So it's nowhere near anything that indicates they're in San Francisco. They have the creature in the back of a box truck, and he's unshackled. Uh, He seems to obey and be able to wander on his own will without attacking. But at this house, they keep him fenced in with or near some goats, and uh, it's an electrified fence guarded by armed men who only seem to be around once in a while. By the way... When the creature arrives at this house, there's maybe 20 minutes of the movie left. So he's been, they've been on the boat most of this movie. Yeah. This, is, this is Jason Takes Manhattan of the Universal Monster movies. Because <laughs> it's called The Creature Walks Among Us. It's The Creature Takes a Boat. <laughs> but most of the creature movies by this at this point have been on boats. The <laughs> There's, that's, that's a, the thing with them. But, um. Well, the second one has the shortest amount of boat because it's just the first act, but the first one's all all on a boat. Yeah, but but at least it's they're in the Black Lagoon. But the creature walks among. It's in the title. He should be walking among us, and he's not really. Jason takes Manhattan. Last twenty minutes, he's in Manhattan. Creature walks among us. Last twenty minutes, he's walking among us. The creature has a a nice view of a pond, which he kind of longingly looks at, which I think some. The guy playing the creature has some good body language here. He's able to mm-hmm. convey through the suit. I'm, it's pretty impressive. Morgan watches the creature as as he witnesses a fight on a balcony between Barton and his wife. And then Barton joins Morgan and shows him a room where they can watch the Gill Man through a two-way mirror. Which, okay. You can just, you could just like the fence. Yeah. yeah the, like, so, if you leave him alone, you probably won't bother you. <laughs> And then he says something about, like, he can hear the water, but doesn't remember it. I'm like, well, you can see it, too, jackass. <laughs> He's probably got a pretty good indication what water is. He was surrounded by it on the yeah. boat. He jumped into it. He knows what water is. Barton has this big speech where he's basically saying, like, you need to be a dick in life because kindness is rarely returned with kindness. And then he keeps making... He keeps inferring about infidelity, but insists he's just talking about the creature. Yeah, and keep in mind, in this movie, we haven't seen Marsha really do anything bad. Nope. Like, like every every advance anyone makes on her, she tells that dude to buzz off. Well, no, here's the thing. Grant makes advances on her. She rejects every one of them. Dr. Morgan, they talk, they have some chemistry. But he doesn't hit on her. He doesn't like get on her. Yeah. He doesn't. He just leaves. Like he just. They have a conversation. And he's like, all right, well, see you later. And yeah, I think there was like someone else on the boat that you know <clears throat> kind of made like a, a passing hit on her as well. And she's like, yeah, whatever, and just walked away. Right. Yeah. Barton then refers that says the creature is just an animal, but Morgan says so is man. And Morgan then comes he pulls up. his dick out. Yes. <laughs> Real odd. Real bold choice for a universal movie in 50s. Yes. Morgan comes to Marsha on the balcony, who's she's playing guitar now. She's well-rounded, uh, to talk about 
how disturbed her husband is and that he needs help. She says he's not going to accept help. And Morgan says, sometimes we need to leave the past behind. And then he leaves. And in her room, Barton confronts his wife, wanting to know what her and Morgan discuss. What were you talking to Morgan about? Excuse me. What were you talking about? Please, you're hurting me. I have a right to ask these questions. I'm your husband. I'm going swimming. You'll become a cheap little tramp. Only to you, Bill. Only to you. Which is right, because... I don't know, she may have made a mistake in the past, and that sucks, but she's apparently learned from it, yeah. and there's no interest in doing that again. So maybe if he was nice to her, kindness gets kindness, doctor, yeah. you'd be a lot happier. She uh, then goes swimming in the pond, and Grant shows up, and he's like, two minds with a single thought. And you can just tell she's like so fucking disgusted when she comes up from the water and sees him there. Oh, yeah. And then he just jumps right in at her. And at this time, a, a mountain lion shows up. And uh, <laughs> Gilman. Did you feel like the mount- when that mountain lion showed up? I, I actually sat there and said, what? Yeah, I was like, oh. Where is this coming from? we got 13 minutes left in this movie. What the fuck is there a mountain lion doing all of a sudden in it? Yeah, the mountain lion, we see that uh, the Gilman's kind of protective of the goat sheep. Because I swear I saw both by getting upset and he kills it when it starts attacking them, and it's the first killing since they captured him. Morgan mentions that this is different, and he killed it in defense. He clearly did because he's in a caged area. Yeah. There's no way that the creature could have gotten out. Clearly, that lion had to get in. Barton during this time sees both his wife and Grant have wandered over both in swim trunks, and that night. He goes into Grant's room through the, like, window door and orders him to leave immediately. So Grant starts giving him shit about his wife, and he goes, Could be any guy, Doc. She hates you that much. Barton clubs him to death. It's kind of like a, a win-win, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he he picks him up, and throw he goes to throw him into the Gilman's cage, and the Gilman then, before he can be, the cage can be electrified, like, Breaks out. Uh, Barton like shoots the Gilman twice. The Gilman begins going after Doctor Barton and starts a rampage through the house. It's actually it's really awesome. It's like because he he breaks through the window, flips over a table, f- flips over a couch, and you know I wish Tommy was so would have watched this scene before making the room. He's like, oh, that's how you tear up a living room. Now I know what to do. Instead of just his half-assed temper tantrum. Like, that guy's angry. He looks like he's ready to hurt something. It finds a room where Marsha and Morgan have uh, hold themselves up, and but it leaves him be. And turns around crashing to go outside and finds Dr. Barton, who he throws over the balcony. And then the creature begins heading just down the road. A guy jumps out to shoot him, and he throws him into like a whole watch booth thing. And yeah, and then he, he knocks down like the one part of the gate that is just a solid brick pillar. Yeah. He just knocks it over knocks like it it's over, cardboard. And he escapes. Like, that would be enough for me. It was like, you know what? He earned it. We're, we're fucking done. Yep. <laughs> Everyone just, whatever. Let, let, let him go. be. Born free. Free as the winds. Get the fuck out of here. Inside the house, Dr. Borg 
thinks the beast is still a beast. But Morgan corrects him, saying that he only attacked or killed an enemy. Marsha, she goes to leave to catch a train, and she asks Morgan if she'll ever see him again, to which he says, yes. The phone rings, and the call says that the Gill Man was spotted heading for the coast. And at said coast, we see the Gill Man looking toward the sea, breathing heavy, thinking, and then heading toward the water, where he assuredly will probably drown. The end. So, nobody wins! Hooray! Kind of a bit of a downer ending. But hey, Dr. Morgan wins. That's who wins. But yeah, and that's the, the end of the creature, and kind of a... A capper on the story. He didn't come back. He did. Trilogy, co- trilogy complete. Now comes the point in our episode where we rate the movie we just watched. As we are cult cinema cavalcade, we keep the options nice and culty. Our options are stay with your family, which means... You want as much to do with this as Marsha wanted to do with Grant. Converted, which means at one point you were kind of in love with Dr. Barton, so you decided to marry him and be okay with him. And drinking the Kool-Aid, which means, whew, that dreamy Dr. Morgan and that, that deep voice. So, Cullen, how do you rate The Creature Walks Among Us? Uh, there's some stuff I, uh, I really do like about the movie. Uh, I, I do like whenever the creature... Shows up. There's that music sting. That yeah, that, that's been a uh, that's in all of them. That's his, that's yeah. his thing. Yeah, I, I'm glad that, that that carried over in all of them. Uh, I, I just I just adds the presence of the creature. Uh, I do like the, the the creature work in general. Doctor Morgan is. I was on the fence about him. Like, is this guy a, a turd or or what? But when he jumped in the water to save the creature, I'm like, okay, you're fine. Overall, uh, they spend so much time on that boat, and it doesn't feel like much is happening. Like when, I, uh, it, what was good about it was we were 20 minutes into the movie and the creature showed up. Great, that's good because it's only an hour 17 minutes, so you want to sh- him to show up and have him do stuff. So that's good. It's not like some other uh, movies I've seen where the creature doesn't show up until the last 20 minutes of the movie. So it had that going for it. But uh, overall, I would really only recommend this to a like a diehard like Universal Monsters fan, like a completionist, because uh, otherwise, I don't I don't feel the need to watch this movie. So I'm gonna stay with my family on this one. Brandon, how do you rate the creature walks among us? Well, Cullen, the the streak is coming to an end. I am going to mild, <laughs> I'm going to be mildly converted. To the creature walks among us. I I thought going into this, I'm like, oh, here comes another stay with the family. But this is, I like this much better than the second one. I think it's a good follow up to the third one. You could probably even skip the second one and just go straight to this one if you want. But the second one's dumb and an enjoyable dumb to watch. This movie, I was I was found myself really digging like this different approach to the creature. And I liked, I, I ended up as silly as the science shit was. I was like really digging the Dr. Morgan versus Dr. Barton debates and everything mm-hmm. between the two. It was something between the two actors that I just mm-hmm. was, I was just enjoying that approach. And I think this movie has like, 
strong enough ideas and within it and enough little B storylines that are interesting hidden in a like B monster movie that, it, that makes it a little stronger than most. I think it's padded a little too much. Like this is probably a 55 to 60 minute movie and, yeah. and, it's, and it's stretched out to like an hour 17, but there, there's some good creature attack scenes. I think uh, I like the creature's story and, you know, him unfairly having the stuff taken away from him and some of the, the body language from the creature. But I was I was pretty entertained with this one and I I was sort of digging some of the core values it had on a on a really uh stripped down level. Uh even though some of it comes a lot of it comes off as goofy or weird or stuff, but I, I was enjoying it enough and I was pleasantly surprised this time around. Maybe I was just like because I was hardcore paying attention to it, but I also uh, in, pre- in preparation for this, I also watched Revenge of the Creature, thinking, like, oh, wait, did I really just like this one maybe better than the second one? And, yeah, I did, because I watched the second one, and it's, yeah, just is what it is. But, yeah, I, I'm going to mildly converted, be converted on this one. converted in a while. I, I think if Marsha was not in the movie, and if there wasn't padding, I think it would be really good. Yeah. But it, it's just those two things that just really, like, really drag it down it's unfortunate yeah. well i was digging their little play on like usually like there's the 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 heroes tracker searcher guy is the one the girl like has the hots for and goes after and she was had nothing to do with this guy yeah she mm-hmm. had nothing to do with him and i thought that was kind of a, a entertaining little spin on it greg got to be a little too much after a bit but he, he got what yeah. was coming to him from a, and i have to say jeff morrow was his craziness was like building throughout and and just watching him be a shit was i was enjoying the hell out of that no he he did a good job he absolutely did so uh, yeah i i enjoyed it enough but yeah i'm mildly converted i don't i don't think if you're into like like the radioactive arrow stuff the b movie stuff or the classic universal monsters take a look but if you're just like a horror fan you're probably not gonna like it at all did you like the design of the 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 new design of the creature, the human one? Because I'm uh, I'm just ugh, on it. I thought it was all right. It was it was it was different. It was still recognizable as the creature, so that was nice. I mean, I obviously prefer the the Gill Man, you know, version of it. And it wasn't uh, just because it was a bigger guy. They added padding. He was wearing like football shoulder pads. And, yeah, I thought that was weird too. Like, I didn't understand why they did that. Because, like, like, why is he so bulky underneath that thing? Because, like, when he goes underneath the water, he's not nearly as bulky. It looks like it's actual creature again. You know, when when he's got just the flesh on and not the scales. Two minds with a single thought. Uh, swimming, I mean. Go away. (laughs) I thought you liked company. Not yours. On the next episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade... We'll be discussing 1989's Tango and Cash, the team-up of Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell. Just recently, they've teamed up for the first time, I think, since this movie in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So we thought, why not go back and check out their Volume 1? <laughs> so, as, as uh, always, I want to thank you for downloading, streaming, subscribing... However you make this show find its way to your ears. And uh, as always, we look forward to next time. But first, stay tuned for the trailer for Tango and Cash, 
the trailer that actually trails. I'll tell you one thing. Whoever set us up is really connected. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Relax. Soak. And don't flatter yourself. Meet Ray Tango. He likes money. He's a Kong. He's a go. But doesn't bother with cash. Meet Gabe Cash. He won't dance around trouble and doesn't mind stepping on toes. I hate you karate guys. Two of L.A.'s top rival cops are having a tough time staying in rhythm. You know me, huh? Yeah, I hear you're the second best cop in L.A. That's funny. I hear the same thing about you. But they're going to have to work together, even if it kills them. Right now! We'll take it. No. That's one of a kind. We won't put a scratch on it. Did you sleep with my sister? I was so drunk, I honestly, I don't remember, okay? Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell. <laughs> Tango and Cash. listening to Cult Cinema Cavalcade. You can find more of Cullen's work on the Creative Zombie Studios Network and on Twitter at my name is Cullen. You can find more of Brandon's work at whysoblue.com and on Twitter at BT Peters. Podcast produced by Brad Shoemaker. Edited by Brandon. Narration by Becky. Theme song Pink Baby by Happy Elf found on the freemusicarchive.org network. The movie in today's discussion is property of its respective studio and no infringement is intended. Please remember to leave us an iTunes rating and review. Join us again in two weeks for the next episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade. You know you want me, baby! Hit it, Servo. Yeah, come on, Mike. Don't act like you haven't heard my trademark catchphrase, loved by millions. You know you want me, baby. <laughs> it's new to me. Oh, don't play coy. People everywhere stand around water coolers, chuckling over my hijinks from the night before, especially when I roll out my lovable chestnut. You know you want me, baby. You know what? I have never heard that before in my entire life. Oh, sure you have. I say it all the time, Mike. I'm a cultural icon, bigger than that, that, that Ray J. Johnson guy in his prime. Yeah. America, you know you want me, baby. I feel the slightest bit bad about just pulling a catchphrase out of thin air. Now, this was embraced by the people, Mike. It didn't come from me. Yes, it did. Well, all right. Well, that may be true, 